Thank you again, uh, Nicholas, and um, warmly welcome to Your Excellency, Mr. Kitek Lim. Um, if you don't mind, uh, I think I will carry on with Kitek if you're okay All with that. All the time. <laughs> so, um, we had a very good um, panel exchange on how the energy landscape was uh, changing. And now, uh, naturally, the focus will be on the regulatory landscape. And uh, as the Secretary General of the IMO, you are definitely in the middle of that. And um, I think we will try and cover three areas. So one will be decarbonization. The second one will be around uh, geopolitics. And then we will touch a little bit on people towards the end. Are you good to go? Uh, I'm thinking my brain is working to prepare for that questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, with the IMO, I think now there are 175 member states and uh, we know that June is a very busy month and uh, the MAPC will be coming up. And uh, some people might think that uh, managing 175 different nation states is like hurdling cats. Um, and I'm sure that you will come back to a little bit of, of the challenges. Um, but if we look then to the greenhouse gas negotiations, and um, uh, they have been in many ways at the centerpiece of both of your, your tenures at the IMO. And um, what do you think about the progress that has been made? And um, do we see a convergence amongst the members of the way forward? Uh, thank you, uh, Knut, uh, for giving me uh, this opportunity to uh, say a few words. And I'm very pleased to be here to meet all uh, distinguished participants when it comes to uh, decarbonization, it, I believe it was a very unique experience. Uh, more confrontation, more divergence of the different uh, views among member states. Not only member states, there has been huge uh, uh, voices from uh, environment, the civic group, and the industry as well. But overall, I definitely say it has been very, very successful. It may not be certain uh, disruptive and radical decision, may not be fast, facilitating decision, but it has been very democratic discussion, consultation among member states, between member states and the private sector as well. So there has been progressing step by step based on uh, uh, consultation on the different views. So I really would like to uh, take this opportunity to thank all IMO member states, not only developing countries. I have to really appreciate the effort of developed countries to uh, be cooperating to date. And also I'd like to express my deep thanks to uh, develop the advanced country as well. 
At the same time, I really thank uh, support and the effort sweat from uh, private sectors, industry. So overall, uh, very successful. Uh, now we are uh, just uh, one month away from the, our decision making in the middle of July. So I really, really appreciative of all the efforts and the commitment from public sector and the private sector as well. Following up on that, uh, Kitak, you know, there are some criticism around uh, the influence on, on the private sector on the IMO. And, uh, but you highlight this as, um, as a very valuable uh, contribution. But I think it's quite unique in, in, in the UN sort of family that um, you have so much, say, industry participation. Oh, you know, maybe I myself, as a person, maybe different from uh, others, but <laughs> I have been keep talking from 2016, positive contribution from industry, whether yes or no, because in the user of the IMO regulation convention, they are private sector companies and the CFRs, you know, management of shipping company in the, within the uh, maritime cluster. So I really appreciate their different views, their positive influence. Uh, without that kind of influence, how do we enjoy our daily life? So I really appreciate uh, the input from the uh, private sectors. Thank you. We also appreciate a lot to be able to be heard. Um, coming back to, you mentioned the MFPC 18 now in June. Uh, what are your expectations? And I think many of us here in the audience will be wondering, will there be more ambitious 2050 targets coming? You know, there has been, we have a certain element, vision, level of ambition, and uh, economic major, and then uh, the, the policy toward the, to address the impact of developing, that is uh, uh, in, in the name of impact assessment. And then uh, finally, we have to adopt a certain time plan for the future. This is a key element. But the overall, if you look back, uh, when we decided, uh, uh, adopted the first inertia strategy, April 2018, before that, the huge uh, like, uh, debate and uh, discussion, sometimes a confrontation, but eventually, I almost succeeded to adopt the inertia strategy. That was uh, April, five years ago. Now, we are approaching to the final stage to adopt the middle long-term strategy. So I believe at this, uh, the, uh, the MEPC, some policy decision, some other one main principle, particularly relevant to economic major, I think that will be a very successful outcome. But at the moment, still some uh, uh, gap between the government and some part of the world, but uh, 
uh, we will uh, we are having a very close consultation discussion about that element as i mentioned some uh, element uh, vision level of ambition economic major so i think there will be very successful one but i have to say at this moment it may not be 100% perfect like a conclusion but uh, will be very successful uh, outcome subject to the further continuous our efforts to that uh, final day thank you <laughs> i guess that's as close as you can get to to the outcome and what you expect um the eu ets is introducing um is being introduced uh, as of next year and um uh, and carbon pricing is naturally also, I guess, something that is being discussed in IMO circles. Any reflections on that? Oh, yes. Uh, this is very uh, natural to say about that. Uh, European Union now 28 and now 27 uh, member states, and more or less uh, located in the uh, same region. While I am a member of the 175, you know, located in different regions, and uh, many more like uh, countries are developing countries, it takes uh, longer, okay? And when it comes to the economic measure, used to be called the market-based measure, I believe this is essential. Technical measure, technical requirement, including global fuel standard, or we talking about the CII, so EEXI, EDA, whatever. <clears throat> However, economic measure is essential, okay? And the European countries uh, has been uh, trying to implement ETS already a few years earlier. Now, eventually, uh, they are implementing. But I see there is a, there is a positive element because the decision-making process at IMO longer than European Union. So I had a meeting uh, COP26 in Glasgow. I had a bilateral meeting, 13 uh, member of parliament, the European Union, and uh, myself talking about economic major. So uh, they highlighted uh, a very emphasized importance of European uh, trading ETS, and then I explained the sentiment, general sentiment of the IMO member state, and then uh, we I heard, you know, uh, they see eventual global solution, not the regional one. So that's why the as, as I mentioned, IMO, uh, we are definitely adopt uh, the not only technical policy but the important principle regarding economic measure in July. With that, I definitely believe in our European Union support the global solution, you know, once the IMO solution uh, when enter into force. But at, at this moment, I see positive element of the European Union's uh, like uh, policy. In a way, uh, some part of the industry members, they may not be happy, but I see it is working also in positive way, encouraging global community move forward to the decarbonizing policy in terms of economic measure. So I see 
it is a positive and uh, and then uh, we uh, work together when we implement the IMOG global solution. Thank you very much. Um, naturally, we feel very fortunate to have a global regulator in the IMO and uh, naturally we are also somewhat concerned um, that there are regional regulators that sort of makes it quite difficult to, to carry out with the global trade. Um, but I would like to maybe come a little bit to your, I mean, maybe also beyond regulations. What do you see as the main obstacle for decarbonizing shipping, if I may ask? Uh, when it comes to the uh, certain like uh, consultation process, how to narrow the gap, deeper views. As I mentioned, you know, uh, despite the certain uh, difficult, challenging time, it has been, I believe, uh, very successful to, to, to date. But the, when it comes to practical, practical aspect of challenges, this is uh, definitely production of alternative fuels, alternative fuels, and then uh, relevant uh, infrastructure. So once I am adopt uh, Basic policy following the inertia strategy policy in July, then I believe, based on that one, IMO will develop a more detailed policy that will give more certainties to the not only member states, also certain to the private shipping company as well. Not only shipping company, shipbuilding, repair, oil and energy industry, etc. So we will give a, a certain certainty with that this kind of challenge, production of alternative fuel and infrastructure, this will be facilitated. We need a fund, IMO need a fund to help not only member states and the help industry. So with, the, as I mentioned, economic measure, which is expected to generate the funds, this fund will be used in very wise, wisest way. Incentives to shipping company, technology R&D and uh, helping uh, small island country and also helping other developing countries. We call it uh, disproportionate negative impact the country we help, you know. Uh, and then how to help that the we believe you know, that the money can be also used to like provide for infrastructure for future like uh, energy supply chain. Hmm. And um, uh, building on what you just said on, on producing the fuels and, and creating the infrastructure, but what would you say to the audience here? What, what can shipping companies and those, um, say, stakeholders uh, in this um, audience do? Uh, what, what's your point? What can this group <laughs> do to sort of uh, accelerate the decarbonization of shipping? What would be your sort of recommendation to this group? Uh, when it comes to this one, this group, I say, you know, uh, mixed of the shipping company or uh, I don't know how much from energy industry as well. But uh, there is uh, already a very good level of the uh, uh, support for the decarbonization. But uh, it could uh, look like a chicken egg game. Shipping community, energy industry, shipyard, repair, etc., bankering service. How we motivate all these uh, stakeholders 
invest as expected, as needed. That's why, I, as I mentioned, once you make a decision, and it would give a clear picture, and with the development of the more detail like requirement, it would give more clear certainty to all stakeholders. This is a key. Without this one, very hard to facilitate development of alternative fuel and uh, providing infrastructure, including bunkering service. So that is the most important. That's why uh, once the IMO make decision, uh, I hope the private sector particularly definitely support, rely on, count on the IMO's policy, and hope you are motivated to make appropriate investment, not only shipping company, other stakeholders as well. That's why I'm really highly, highly the emphasize importance of the decision making, particularly in the policy side. And also I'm looking forward to more closer collaboration. With this one, I would like to, I was going to mention, once we make a decision in July, uh, IMO is going to organize uh, like a round table discussion among stakeholders. Among stakeholders, we have experience in 19, 2019 when we preparing implementation IMO 20 low sulfur fuel issues. We had we gathered together and exchanged views how we collaborate each other. I think uh, in a way. Uh, that the work very possibly. So we need, uh, you know, much more, more higher level of collaboration among uh, the stakeholders on this uh, element. Thank you very much. Um, if you now change um, over to geopolitics, um, and we've had, um, yeah, um, the invasion uh, of Ukraine. Um, naturally, we also talked about this morning about the so-called Grey Fleet. And of course, before that, we also have COVID. Um, how has this influenced the work of IMO and has it been, say, challenging to deal with this? Uh, actually, uh, <clears throat> if I recall uh, uh, COVID time, uh, it, it uh, <clears throat> make me depressed and sad, you know, almost two and a half years. <laughs> uh, but uh, that uh, time, uh, not on, uh, uh, work the positively, strengthening solidarity uh, between myself and my wife uh, living only in uh, London. <laughs> uh, but the seafarers suffered a lot during COVID. As you know, well, uh, vaccination issues, uh, crew changes, uh, a huge challenge to shipping. But in a way, you know, I don't uh, talk about the impact, the commercial impact to the shipping uh, business. But anyhow, uh, seafarers suffered a lot. And again, uh, since uh, February last year, we are experiencing the proxy uh, issues, military confrontation. That caused also a huge impact to shipping. Still, over 60 ships are stranded. It used to be over 1,500 seafarers stranded, but the most of them uh, uh, left. But some little foreign third-party seafarers still there, but now several majority seafarers stay there is from Ukraine. But that anyhow, it has been impacting very negatively to shipping. But with that, you know, what we are doing, uh, we are working, when it comes to seafarers issues, 
we already working with the ILO, the Cooperation ILO, IMO, but recently I invited the new Director General of ILO, head of ILO to IMO. We had a bilateral meeting and we are strengthening our efforts to review current uh, legal system, current uh, the practices to find out the uh, area to improve further. Uh, that is one. And the second one, uh, in the, this autumn, I think it is maybe the first uh, uh, event, uh, but the event will be organized between IOM and uh, IRO, focusing on uh, human element CPRS issues. There will be much more uh, higher collaboration between IOM and IRO. There is, uh, we are uh, working, and also uh, in, in the course of the, we have uh, uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, the, the collaboration, like a shipping community, ICS, and uh, ITF, Intermanager, Intertanko, and uh, BIMCO, etc. They worked hard, and related also, CFR uh, related the NGOs like IPSMA, etc. So that effort, collaboration, will be uh, enhanced uh, with uh, that, you know, shipping uh, uh, ships are stranded still in the Ukraine port, uh, but there is a, a will be a separate uh, airport is uh, underway. I don't, I cannot uh, discuss yet, but you know, uh, having a successful like uh, example of the uh, grain initiative, but uh, we will have uh, some uh, further uh, consultation how to evacuate the ships, you know, stranded in that area. But uh, co uh, finally, you know, we, I believe, you know, uh, IMO take advantage of this development to look at the state social status, international status of CFRS. At the same time, we have to uh, enhance like international reputation of international shipping, how contribute the global economy and global trade. So this is uh, what we are thinking. Thank you very much. Uh, Coming a little bit back to geopolitics, so um, there is many of us that feel that uh, the friction in geopolitics is increasing these days. Does that create a challenge for the IMO uh, to sort of gather around the progress that you want to, to achieve in, in the areas that we have discussed? Uh, what do you mean geo? So, Political for instance, we, we have the situation with uh, Russia uh, oh. in Ukraine. There are certain discussions between China and the U.S. about um, geopolitics um, over Taiwan. I know these are very highly political issues, but I was just wondering in the context of the IMO, does that sort of create further obstacles beyond sort of the decarbonization ambition levels that might be different uh, amongst the member states? Uh, IMO is a one of a UN system. Uh, definitely, you know, uh, IMO, you know, is a... Uh, uh, in a way affected the development of the global uh, like uh, geopolitical like scene which mainly taking place the United Nations but if I look back despite those challenges but we have been making progress making progress uh, still that challenge is going on still going on uh, but the overall, uh, we have been making good progress. 
But when it comes to the uh, decarbonizing policy, uh, our member state industry have been more wiser than before to handle uh, that uh, challenges outside the IMO. So uh, I think uh, we will be successful despite of this kind of uh, political scene. It's good that you are optimistic on this uh, issue. Coming, coming back, you, you, you mentioned about the seafarers and, and naturally um, COVID, how that has impacted the attractiveness. Uh, there's another issue as well, and that is uh, sort of tr to attract more uh, women to the industry and also to attract young talents to the industry. And I know that you are also very much concerned around these issues. Any reflections? Uh, particularly, you know, uh, <clears throat> when we, as I mentioned, talk about uh, the COVID time and the challenge, uh, hardship to seafarers, uh, I'm talking often with the current uh, like uh, practices, how we easily encourage young people to join uh, shipping community, particularly seafarers uh, as a profession, really hard. Young people around the world, they were very disappointed to see how you know, uh, the, the whole world responding uh, COVID in terms of like treatment of the seafarers, crew change and the vaccination as well. I know certain number of countries, mainly, uh, mainly uh, most of from European countries, they are uh, trying to help the seafarers from the beginning, really appreciative of that. But this is situation, okay? That's why I'm talking collaboration with the IRO, how to review and how to improve the current system. So now we have a much more collaboration with the IRO, IMO. We're talking about the relevant convention of each side. So we help IMO helping MLC to promote the implementation, ratification, access to the MLC to be more widely implemented. That's why in line with that, as I mentioned, we are organizing certain very, very high-level uh, conference in London jointly, IMO and uh, IRO to look up. So the one, we have to do, I mentioned openly, in terms of the uh, union of a different profession, uh, CFR's uh, you know, uh, union status, because of the nature of business, not strong. They are working scattered around the world. That's why public sector and the management of the uh, shipping community, we have to work together to help. When it comes to women in maritime, I'm uh, making me very happy. Uh, we, uh, although I'm has been working for women development in maritime, but the 2019, we started the campaign empowering women in maritime community. Since then, extremely successful. Many more like uh, Wista, uh, Wista like uh, trade and the shipping, uh, women association, many more uh, maritime uh, women, married women in the maritime community established around the world. Around the world, particularly developing country, women 
like engagement in maritime sector very highly motivated. However, we have to continue. And uh, as you remember, we established, adopted the uh, uh, 18th of May as of International Maritime Women's Day. Extremely successful. This year, extremely successful. So we will continue to promote that one, uh, that campaign, uh, to be more the, uh, progressive in the future. Great. And um, as time is really running fast, and, uh, and maybe two uh, quick questions towards the end. Uh, in your view, what is your legacy at the IMO? And uh, secondly, what's next for Kitek Lim? How will you be remembered uh, from your time at the IMO? And what's next for Kitek Lim? Uh, my term and the end of uh, December, I'm really honored to serve the International Maritime Organization and really appreciate all support, you know, not only member state and the industry as well. Really, really honored to serve you. But at this moment, still some six months, uh, it might, may not be appropriate for me to say myself, my own legacy <laughs> at the moment. But I can say one, at least one element. I believe, and I will say, I will say, member state, we agree to, to my, my point. We have been enhancing more friendship, more friendship among member states and then uh, industry as well. More social gathering, social conversation. That was a fundamental platform for our progress of, for instance, policy issues, decarbonization, low sulfur issues, asset ballast issues, and the mass issue as well. It has been working positively, but uh, at the moment, uh, I believe I have been contributing in uh, like, a, like a friendship building among all uh, stakeholders. So, but that, I hope that uh, 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 like uh, practice in legacy continue to stay after I left uh, the IMO. Thank you very much, uh, Kitak. <laughs> it's been a true pleasure talking to you this morning and thank you very much for spending the time with us and on behalf of everyone in the audience, we are great supporters of the IMO and we also think that you and the team have done a terrific and great job, so thank you very much for that. Uh, one element I have to add, since uh, the Knut, you are from the classification society, prominent, classification society is uh, extremely important. Class, class, class society is uh, stated in the middle, government and insurance, CFRS, managed company, or shipyard, shipyard. So class society function extremely important, not only like uh, supporting industry, but also supporting member state government as well. In that sense, you know, uh, I'm uh, uh, looking forward to more enhanced collaboration between IMO and the class societies to exchange views to, to help each other. Uh, in line with that, I really appreciate your leadership, not only to DMB, but also to the, uh, the all uh, classification society group, and also to the whole uh, the shipping uh, industry as well. Thank you very much.
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.